dedicated to each and every one of you who appreciate a great glass of wine. You know what I mean? It's Monday. Let's raise a glass to the beginning of another week. It's time to unscrew, uncork, or saber a bottle. And let's begin exploring the wine glass. Today, I am sitting down with Brian Babcock of Sassoon Creek Winery in, you guessed it, Sassoon Valley. They currently grow and maintain seven different varietals of grapes. The property was originally purchased by Brian's father, Howard, who planted it with cherry, prune, and pear trees over 40 years ago. If you enjoy exploring the wine glass, I'd appreciate you giving me some love by taking two minutes out of your day to write up a review on whatever app you're listening to. It is the best way to support the show. Slancha. Sweet wine. Hey everybody, I'm Lori Budd, a UC Davis winemaking program, someday service, champagne specialist, and WSET level two graduate. You can find Exploring the Wine Glass on all the socials, as well as your favorite podcast catchers. If you haven't subscribed yet, now's the perfect time to swipe, subscribe, rate, and review. I promise I'll never tell you what to drink, but I'll always share what's in my glass. Hey, everybody. Welcome to another episode of Allure of the Poor, sponsored by Dracaena Wines. I am your host, Lori, a UC Davis winemaking graduate, champagne specialist, WSET level two, Cote de Rome specialist, and now a student in the Spanish Wine Scholar program. And today I have a very exciting guest that took us a while, a couple of back and forths to get there, but we both were tenacious and sticking it out and we finally got together to talk. I have Brian Babcock of Sassoon Creek Winery and we will be discussing the Valley, we'll be discussing Petite Syrah and we will be discussing this 2018 specific petite Syrah. So welcome, Brian. How you doing? I'm good. Thanks for having me out. Absolutely. And I am excited. Uh, we, you know, one of these days I'm going to get there. Um, right. You know, I just, I don't know. You're not that far. You're not that far from me, but I don't know. It always just something always, every time I get a plan to get going up, up there, something jumps in the way and it never works out, but I'm going to do it. I promise. All right. All right. I'll <laughs> save you a seat. All right. So my first question for everybody on Allure of the Poor is always the same and it's the origin story right we always want to know how Wolverine got you know what you know got his claws and you know how Deadpool became Deadpool so how did Brian Babcock get into wine vineyards mostly actually it's kind of where I, I started so uh, my family had owned some property in Susan Valley here for quite a few years and my dad uh, planted grapes I think around 80. 89 somewhere in that time frame and uh i was about 13 at the time something like that i don't know uh so i didn't really know anything about anything and so i went through high school and just as that was coming on you know the grapes were kind of cool it was like all right well what's going on so i, I ended up sort of not having any direction I'm like well i can do this farming thing you know, duh, 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 duh. so i went to uh, the jc for a couple of years which was great because it allowed me to kind of stay at home and still work and, and and do that sort of stuff and get all that uh undergraduate stuff out of the way. And then I went up to Davis, which is not it's only about a half hour from here. So I was able to go up there and get my degree in uh, viticulture enology. Originally, I kind of went just for the viticulture stuff. And then I got talked into doing the winemaking stuff and I kind of liked it. So I just kind of stuck with it. All right. And, you know, when you got into drinking wine, you know, um, because, you know, and that, that's a, that's a whole other, that's a whole other ballgame, what people think is going on and what really is. But when a lot of people, when they get into drinking wine, there's kind of like that transition period, right? So not everybody, but a lot of people start off typically with the little sweeter wine or, you know, in, in the college days, you know, it's really the sweet wine, right? Yeah, then they nice. transition into a little bit of white and then kind of graduate into some reds and learn to appreciate the old world stuff and everything. Did you have a transition? transition wine like of the drinking aspect um no you know because i was in college and i was in the the winemaking program uh, you know i was exposed to everything like right off the bat like i didn't have i didn't come from a huge wine um okay. background like my parents like in the house they had back then it was you know white zin and then you know kj chardonnay and, and that sort of stuff because that's what you know when you're new to wine that's what people drank back then this right. is the the late 80s early 90s and so you got to start somewhere. And, and so those are kind of what 
I was sort of exposed to. Um, but when I got into college, it was, you know, when I got old enough to be able to buy alcohol on my own, uh, there was legally, 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 it was a lot of, uh, I mean, it's a lot of beer because it was college, but, uh, wines. Yeah, you're right. It was Rieslings, uh, Gewurztraminers, uh, you know, nothing fancy. I didn't, you know, have the budget for that. Uh, and then when you would go to class and you would, you know, get together with other people and they would do put on tastings and you have all this, then you got exposed to everything else. So actually in a pretty short period of time, I remember, um, before we even knew kind of how Petit Syrah was going to do in Susan Valley or anything like that. Uh, I think it was a Bogle Petit Syrah it was kind of like, it was, the price point was right for, you know, college. And I thought it was a decent wine. And I kind of got into that for one of my first reds that you would, that I would kind of pick up more than, you know. Uh, more than five than just one bottle okay you know I, it was a repeat purchase because i thought it was good so uh yeah to be honest i haven't had that wine in gosh i don't know how many years now but uh, i should probably go back and revisit that <laughs> and you know that would be a kind of interesting experience yeah. because the the wine that got me into wine um it like I went berserk when I tasted this wine. I was like, oh my God, this is the best wine ever. Oh, I love it. I love it. And it was a Chardonnay, it, it, but it it was an oaked Chardonnay, right? But, it, you know, it was a Chardonnay and, and I loved it. And I was like, oh, I got into the point where my husband, like friends of ours bought us that wine for our wedding, right? Okay. And then my, you know, when we got married, my husband went to the whole, cause we were in Jersey whole, like tri-state area driving all over the place to buy as much of it as he can so that I could have it, you know, whatever I wanted. And I absolutely loved it. And then, you know, years go by and your palate evolves and your palate changes and everything. And I had that wine and I was like, oh, like, I was so excited to have this wine. I was like, yes, oh my God, look, you know, obviously different vintage, but I'm like, oh my God, yes, yes, yes. And I tasted it. I'm like, huh, well, it's a, still a solid wine. It's, there's nothing wrong with the wine, but my palate has changed completely. And that's not what I would go to today, right. you know? Right. So it'd be interesting to see when you go back to that, not that there's anything wrong with the wine, but interesting to see how you enjoy it now versus how you enjoyed it then. Yeah. yeah yeah kind of interesting yeah so do you have a memorable wine like it does you know a wine that you tasted it and you're like wow this this is an amazing wine you know i i've i've been asked that before and I, the short answer is no okay. the long do you want the long answer yeah all right so the the long answer is it was actually the first wine i ever made okay so i was probably 18 or 19 maybe and we had this block of, of Merlot, uh, and within that block, there was some rogue Pinot Noir vines, you know, 25, 30, whatever. And they're, they're very different. When you look at it in Merlot and the vineyard, you can tell Pinot Noir is totally different, tiny bunches, clustered, ripens earlier, you know. So I said, well, I'll just go pick those, and I'll make wine out of them, you know, for Pinot Noir. And I didn't know anything about wine. And uh, so I made them, you know, in a, a garbage can, a brute you know, as best I could do. And there's a local guy down the street who, who made wine. He was, um, not professionally, just like, he was just a, he was bizarre. He'd walk into this little garage he had and he had just carboys bubbling away of everything everywhere. It was, it was insane. Um, and he goes, well, this is how you do it. He basically gave me the overview about fermentation and punch downs and all that. I said, okay, I can do that. So I did it. And, uh, I thought the wine came out really great. I was like, oh my gosh, you know, I put it in the barrel. It's that little, uh, little half barrel, little 30 gallon barrel. Mm -hmm but I put it in there. I was like, oh, this is amazing. But nobody told me you had to actually like maintain wine over time. Oh. So it just kind of went bad. It went south pretty fast. Um, so when I checked it again in six, eight months, nine months, I was like, ooh, what is this sulfur thing we're supposed to do? <laughs> so uh, yeah, it wasn't great. But like, I remember that wine was just amazing. And I, it's obviously through rose-colored glasses and it probably wasn't that great. But I was like, this is like, oh, it's a, it was like the eye opener, like, this is great. And so that is my aha wine that kind of got me going into mm -hmm. that direction of, of winemaking. And yeah. that That's actually, that, that might be the best memorable wine I've ever heard. 
memorable <laughs> wine story I've ever heard. And quite an educational one also. You, you yeah. learned very quickly that you can't yep. just take it, put you it can't. in a barrel and, and then, you know, yeah. forget about it. <laughs> it's not it's not bourbon. You don't get to slam a, a bung in there and call it a day. Right. You in right. a couple of years. Yeah. <laughs> and so that, well, that really is a, an educational thing. So you'll never do that again, right? You never yeah. once have you done that again. Right. Nope. So now everything is sulfur and topped up and uh, hopefully clean. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So let, let's talk about Sassoon Valley. Uh, yeah. First of all, um, there's 50 bazillion different ways you pe- people hearing it. So you want to officially say the correct way to say it? It is Sassoon. Sassoon, kind of like right. almost because you, the slogan is see you soon type thing, Ex- right? See you soon and see soon. Yeah. That's, that's the. That's the that's the, the the coined phrase. Yeah, no, I mean, yeah, Sui Sun, Sui San. I mean, it just it gets butchered every which way. And I'm not going to like fault anybody for saying it uh, incorrectly because it's not phonetically spelled. But yes, <laughs> I always have the tendency. I, I think it's my Jersey draw. I I, I say soon. Um, yeah, you know, I, I, that that would be fine. Yeah, but yeah, I would let that one go. You know. Yeah. Um, I, I just blame it on Jersey. I blame everything on Jersey. But um, so let's talk about where it is. Where is it located? How, you know, because I'm going to say the majority of people who have been to Napa Sonoma probably have been yeah. through Sassoon. So tell us where yeah. it is. So technically, I think we are kind of right between San Francisco and Sacramento, kind of on the I-80 corridor. Now, where you would normally take if you're traveling up 80 or down 80, and you would take Highway 12 to go to Napa or Sonoma, we are kind of right at that exit and you just drive. Uh, so as, I mean, really the, if you look at Napa and the county map, there's like this little wedge in the southeast corner of it. And that's kind of, looks like it just kind of cut out of Napa Valley and that's, that's Susun Valley. Uh, so we're, we're only, our AVA butts right up to the county line. Um, so, yeah. And about how big is the AVA? Ah, oh, gosh. Um, I should know this, but I think it's about 7,000 acres. No, 3,000? I think there's maybe 3,000 acres planted or 2,500. I think the whole thing is about 6,000, 7,000. Okay, so about half of it is there's, under vine? Yes. It seems like actually this probably should be less. You know, it's there's. I think their website has, the Susan Valley Grip Growers has some information on there. I should know hey, that. I wasn't prepared for that one. Oh, Anyways. I'm sorry. It's all right. It's all right. <laughs> it's all right. And not that much. Yeah, yeah. That's a that was probably what I was getting at. It's kind of a very tiny AVA. Yeah. Um, but it's been around for a long time. Yeah, I th- think it was '82. I got it was right after Napa, I think. Okay. One year, right? Yeah. Napa, Napa Napa slid in there one year before you guys. Yeah, they do everything first. So that's fine. <laughs> um, and I, one of the funniest signs I ever saw is in Sassoon Valley. Um, and it's, it's the, um, the backside of, of Napa. Yeah, that's, that was a, that was a vintner uh, up the road. He's got a, a, a thing he's trying to do promotion to. And so, yeah, he, he's got that sign out there. Nice little so sense I, of humor. Yeah, I think so. <laughs> Why not? We can't get laugh at ourselves. Absolutely. I agree with that 100%. If you can't laugh at yourself, then you shouldn't laugh yeah. at anybody else. And life really is not fun if you're not laughing at yourself. That's No, no. This, yeah. I, I didn't get into this business to be serious. So. Uh, right. Serious about wine, just not yes, serious but, about life. Yeah. Right? Have, <laughs> you have to have a good time while you're doing it. Otherwise, it's just... Work. Yeah, yeah, right. <laughs> yep. So what would you say is the distinguishing feature or characteristic for Sassoon Valley? Um, so for, from like an AVA standpoint, it's because it's really compact. I think it's only six or seven miles long and like three miles wide. Um, and but the climate's very like dramatically in that short period. So if you're down in the southern part, it's cold and windy. It's like Pinot Shard country. And then we've got upper valley stuff where you're kind of you don't really get these breezes that blow through here and cool you off in the afternoon sometimes or in the evening. And those places can stay warm, um, you know. And so you can put your hotter varieties up there and your, your cooler varieties down south and kind of anywhere in between, really. 
Um, so I, I think in that respect, it's pretty cool that we can grow so many different things in such a small place or really a, a small EVA. Okay. And what, um, what is the uh, baby of Sassoon Valley? What's, what's oh, the Petit Syrah seems to be our thing. Does anybody still call it the reef or is everybody calling it? No, I think uh, Kima Sassoon, they, they call it the Grand Reef. Um, oh, and that's okay. their their thing. But I think every most other people are, are just still calling it Petit Syrah. Petit Syrah. I, I, it, I think when wineries call things by not the more common one, it makes it more confusing for people. And, you know, they're like, oh, what is this? But then on the other hand, somebody may pick up the bottle and go, oh, look at this. What is this? And not know, you know, oh, I have had that variety before. Um, so on, on your website, uh, Katie is quoted as saying, Brian does it all and does it well. So I had to laugh because <laughs> I, I think that it's, it's a very straightforward statement of what winemaking is versus the the reality of winemaking versus the sure. dream of sure. of winemaking. So, what are some things other than winemaking that you do that play a role in allowing you to winemake? Make wine. So I, I do <laughs> I do most all of the vineyard stuff. So, um, like today, uh, I am I was out and we were rolling out drip line for a new vineyard. So that was me in a tractor. I mean, I stood up, you'd see my pants, they're all nasty and dirty. Um, <laughs> so I, I, I changed from here up just for this, but uh, yeah. Uh, so yeah, I'm pretty hands-on out in the vineyard. Um, you know, I mean, I have a couple of guys who work for me and they do a lot of the, the manual stuff, but as far as tractors, mechanics, you know, all that, yeah. So to, to bring the fruit in, you know, all those decisions those are made by me. Um, and then the winery, uh, I'm, I don't have anybody else doing anything for me. So I'm all hands on there. Uh, I'm really overworked. I think now that I think I, about it. I think so. I, I think yeah. you need a raise. Yeah, I'm, I'll talk to, I'll talk to my boss about that. <laughs> but I, so I think that people, when they hear, oh, you're a winemaker, like oh my gosh that must be so amazing right you're yeah. you're drinking wine you know you get to taste wine all the time you get to take all your wine home and have wine whenever you wanted and things like that so give us uh let's go let's go to when it's getting close to harvest okay, okay? let so let's let's flash forward a little bit in time and let's go to when it's about to to start harvest, uh, what is your first variety that you're going to be harvesting? Uh, Sauvignon Blanc. Okay, so let's start with with that. You're ready to harvest. Let's go through a typical Brian day as we get close to harvest. So it's it's a lot of uh, checking. I mean, we we check the sugars, and usually you kind of have an idea week wise. You know, where are we at? Well, next week sometime. Okay, and then you know you can always adjust a couple of days since it's the first thing. There's plenty of tank space. There's plenty of you know, everything's, you're not botched up and you don't have a whole bunch of other stuff going on. You basically kind of got through the vineyard through the lull of um, spring and, and ripening. And now it's winery time for me. So uh, we do that. So then, you you know, okay, we've got a week. Let's go through. We're going to clean everything up, make sure everything works. I should probably do that sooner than a week. But, <laughs> um, but yeah, we, you know, that's, that's kind of how we do it. And then we coordinate a lot of the fruit that we grow or that we make our wine from. We actually sell to other wineries. Oh, okay. So, I, you know, I'm coordinating with them and, you know, trying to figure all that stuff out. But yeah, there's a lot of getting the winery ready and processed and get the gear as, as the first thing we do. Uh, and then whites are pretty straightforward because they just go in tanks. There's not really much work we have to do. Um, you know, like reds is punch downs, pump overs, whatever. But yeah. And I was going to say, so now fast forward to i don't know maybe a month later where those mm -hmm. reds are starting to kick in now how does oh, your it, day might be, change? it might be six it might be six weeks for reds i pick reds okay. late <laughs> okay so yeah so um the reds yeah that's that comes uh probably mid to late october okay most of the reds um you know brings in and petite in usually about the same time because i usually let them hang out until they're high 20s Okay. Bricks wise. Uh, Cabernet, I will bring in. 
I don't do much of Cabernet. You just, you know, I've got like a little bit, um, but I will basically pick that when right before it rains. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say. Like, yeah. I, I just like, eh, it'll hang out there. It'll do its thing. And then, yeah. Uh, or if I feel it's ready, but we've only made two, two vintages of Cabernet. So, oh, okay. or three, sorry. We did three last year. Uh, so I don't have, I haven't bottled it yet. So we'll see soon. And then you have to start playing the chess game of where things go. Yep. Then there's a, there's always that I'm like, well, I can't do this and that. And yeah. Log jam with tanks and I can't fill them all. Cause then I can't empty one of them and that's a problem. Right. So yeah, it's, you always got to have one, one open space. All right. It's, it's like, like one uh, of those puzzles, you know, like one of those puzzles, those like nine by nine squares you have to move around to make the picture. Yeah. Yeah. It's a lot. It's a lot of like that. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, so before you started uh, Sassoon Creek, well, you actually worked for a very large winery. I, I did. And, yeah. And kind of got your feet wet and kind of realized how you wanted to go about winemaking everything. How do you compare working for a large production winery versus a smaller winery? Like, how do you compare those two? So um, they're different. So I, 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 when I left that place, it was big and it was, it was a production winery. And so I, basically my job was sitting at a desk, writing work orders for the, you know, to move wine around or make ads or do palms or whatever, and then getting them back and making sure everything checked out and nobody messed up. And so it was very, um, it was a lot of moving papers around. Now we'd go out and taste wine and have meetings and make blends and get everything ready. But, um, you know, I didn't have to deal with ordering glass and corks. That was somebody else's job. I was more production uh, winemaking. So, uh, you know, but I managed a few different projects within that. So I did a lot of alternative and, and a lot of micro rocks, um, that sort of stuff. Uh, which was great experience, but it's different. Like I got out of there, I'm like, oh, I come, you know, started my own business here, and it was wow. There's a lot to do, um, and I don't have anybody. I can't just write that work order and have it get done. There's, <laughs> you know, it's it's. I just do it. So, yeah. So it's different. Uh, I enjoy this because I, I enjoy just being hands on and doing everything. So it works out for me. Now, there's since you are doing everything. Right. You have the vineyard side of it and the winery side of it. Mm -hmm. Do you have a preference of where you prefer to be? No, uh, it just depends on the time of year. I mean, there's sometimes a year where I don't want to be in the winery. I just like I'm tired of it. You know, and there's sometimes in the, the vineyard, I'm like, OK, I'm fine with it. But like the vineyard's exciting because it's constantly changing and you're just trying to keep up, especially this time of year in the spring. Yeah, uh, it, it's just moving and you're just trying to hold it all together and not let it run away. Uh, but, you know, and then, you know, so it's busy, busy, busy. And then, you know, we have this kind of lull maybe in the middle of summer. Um, and then right before harvest, then once harvest comes, then it's busy, busy, busy in the winery. Now the vineyard stuff slows down, you manage that. And, you know, because the vines, once we pick them, they're kind of done for the year. There's a few maintenance things, but for the most part, it's pretty, pretty straightforward. Nothing's like on a time crunch. Right. Um, but with the winery, everything's on a time crunch. So it's, it's just a, it, it's a lot of hurry up and just wait for the chaos to ensue. <laughs> hurry up and uh, wait, right? Hurry yep, up hurry wait. up and wait. <laughs> well, I am sitting here and I've got this glass of wine here and I want to start drinking. So we're going to talk about oh, okay. the wine so I can start drinking. Sure, no, I'm with you. I got, I got All right. Here. So what I have in my glass is your 2018 Sassoon Creek um, Petite Syrah. And so can you tell us a little bit about this wine itself? Like, uh, you know, what was the vintage? Like, was it an easy vintage? Was it a vintage that you're pull, you know, you're screaming at it, you know, anything insane about the vintage, good or bad? And then mm -hmm. we'll talk about the wine itself. No. So gosh, I'm trying to think, I think 18 was a fairly smooth year. Um, uh, you know, we do the one thing I'm learning about the wine. So we started making wines in 2016. So this is really the, the third vintage. Okay. Now the vines were very young. So, you know, they were planted in 2014. So the first crop we got 2016 was like the first crop and it was small. Uh, and I will, I will say that typically uh, young vines make better fruit, better, better wine. 
I know people like you got to get some age on them and old vines. And I'm like, nah, I don't, I, I, I mean, to a point, yes, but for the most part, I find the opposite, to be honest. Why do um, you say that? I, because a lot of the wines that I've made that were like young and they're healthy vines, they turn out pretty nice. The wines come out, but like wines that I've tried to make from older vines, now maybe those vines had issues. They were virus or some other root. They just don't seem to have the oomph and the, and the, okay. the but that's me. Right. So, and that's me and that's here. So I'm not going to put that as a, a general, that's the way the rest of the world is and, 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 or even anybody else besides what I'm trying to do, right. but that's been my experience. So, um, so that's good. And now, fortunately, Petit Syrah doesn't have a really long lifespan in the vineyard. So it really, was, uh, yeah, really? we don't, we don't, they don't, uh, yeah, you're not going to find a lot of old vine Petit, I don't think. So are they that susceptible to, to you type to... it typically? And then, yeah. and then at some point you, you've got so much in the vineyard, it just becomes economically not feasible to, to try and maintain it. I mean, you can get in there and cut it out and rehab it, but at some point you're, it's just easier to start over from scratch. So, so we, we're looking at typically on a petite vineyard, I mean, 20 years average, but after about oh. 20, they're, they're looking pretty, you have to start wow. making that decision. Now, now that was previous 20 years where people didn't really understand a lot about disease and you type it. I mean, we understood, but we didn't have a lot of tools to treat it. Now I think people do. So maybe we'll, we'll see as we move forward, knowing what we know now, how maybe we can get a longer lifespan out of it. Because um, what it wasn't it. So this is not a natural crossing. Petit Syrah is not a natural crossing, right? It was created in a lab. Well, I don't, I don't Correct. think so. I don't, Petit, I don't know. Petit Syrah is a, I th I thought I thought that Petit Syrah was created by the scientist Darif to help with powdery mildew. powdery mildew. Uh, yeah. yeah, he may very. You know, I I should know that. I don't. Um, but yeah, um, it does. It, it's it's not immune to powdery mildew, but it does have one of the lower tolerances. Now that being said, the trade off is you walk into that vineyard and you you just say the word rain and the vines just start rotting. So really, oh, okay. Oh yeah, yeah. Late season petite syrah has always been tricky because it you get any rain late season and those bunches are so tight and the skin is so thin it just they just start melting. Wow. Just, just disintegrating. So yeah, if there, if you've got rain imminent, it's just better to pull the trigger. Okay, because there's um there's uh, Gary Eberly. I don't know if you're familiar with him because uh, he's he's yeah. passed out. Yeah. Um, he was, he was telling a story of how winemakers go running to, you know, like the hills. Oh, no, no, it's going to rain. It's going to rain. And then they want to pick, you know, they pick before it rains. And he always says, I just, I'll just sit on my patio and let it rain. And, you know, because Paso, it's going to be dry for the next week after that. And, you know, so, yeah, water does affect the grapes at that time. And you just kind of let nature come back to it and all Is good. But is that talking you're... specifically about petite or is that? No, no, it wasn't petite. Oh yeah, Cabernet, no. yeah, a little rain. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. But that that's what I was thinking is, oh, okay, so you're talking specifically petite Syrah and that those clusters, you know, the rain gets in there and then it kind of just. Oh, yeah, we've seen it. We've, we've been growing petite here for, gosh, 20 something years since the late 90s, I think we planted some. And so we've, we've seen the vineyard, uh, like after it's rained and you go to pick it and it's like guys are picking it and they're just, just disintegrating in your hand. Oh. And they throw, I mean, it's, it's bad. It's bad. Oh. It's ugly. Oh. Is yeah. that at any point during the, you know, like, like let's, let's backtrack to pre-verasion. Oh, pre-verasion. Is it okay? Fine. So yeah. it, it's really just towards the end of, as it's getting close to, as it's getting close to ripeness. It's, it's when it's got, yeah, bad. it's ripe. It's ready to pick. It doesn't have, yeah, that's that's usually when it falls apart. But you know, in California, we don't get rain in, you know, from from really May to October, if we're right. lucky. I mean, there may be a, an occasional weird shower, but you know, that's you know, a, a tenth of an inch probably is. You know, there's there's enough canopy there; it should shrug off most right. of the water. And if you did, you might get a few bunches that might rot. But if you, you know, if you start talking about any significant rain where it's just going to be soaked. You're, you're pulling it in. You're pulling it in. And now a word from our sponsor. 
Did you know that Dracina Wines has a wine club? We named it the Chalk Club. Draco is on our label, but Vegas was getting a bit jealous, so we decided he deserved to be our wine club spokesdog. In Las Vegas, betting chalk means that you are betting on all of the favorites, and we're gambling that once you taste our wines, we will become one of your favorite wineries. The club is simple, yet a bit different than most. We don't ask for a lot of commitment like others do. Choose between three tiers. The Sweet 16, where you'll receive three bottles twice a year and get 25% off all orders. Sign up for the Elite 8 and get 30% off all orders and receive four bottles twice a year. Or make it to the Final Four and receive six bottles twice a year, as well as receiving 35% off all purchases. All tiers receive discounted shipping, are customizable, and are eligible for unlimited referral bonuses. Add $15 to your bank for each person you refer. Head to www.dracinawines.com or the link in the show notes to find out all the Chalk Club has to offer and to sign up. We've stopped the odds so that you can get our award-winning wines without breaking the bank. Wow. All right. All right. See, e- each variety is oh, has got its different. own little quirks, right? They do. Just like they do. Right? They, and that's they, what's fun about being in the vineyard. You got these things, and you know, we used to grow some some Viognier, and it was just um, it would push out like all these like shoots, and it was a pain to shoot thin because it wanted to grow. And you're like, all right, um, but it wouldn't set a big crop. I don't want it, but you know, Chardonnay is pretty straightforward. You know, that's kind of actually. From a growing standpoint, not that bad. Other than being a little more susceptible to mildew, that one's pretty easy, straightforward. Yeah, Cabernet is almost bulletproof. So <laughs> you, know, just, you just it just needs to hang out there and get ripe. Yeah. So let's go back to now. I can find. I can. I can taste this. Right. So we All have right. Petite Sirah, 2018, Piston Creek in the glass. First of all, it's, well, I, I was going to say blindfolded, you know, but not blindfolded, but blind tasting. Mm-hmm. I would right off the bat, the color is, is so, yeah. is so dark. I, you know, as you swirl the, the, the purple hue just stays and lingers on, on the glass. And mm-hmm. there is, you know, I tell people when I'm teaching them how to, how to, you know, taste wine, I'm like, okay, put your two fingers behind the wine. If you can see it, it's pale. If you sort of see it, it's medium. If you can't, it's deep. Well, it, this is deep. Yeah. It's, <laughs> this, this is deep there. Yeah. So it's one of those, um, one of the things that we do when we make, when we actually make the petite Syrah, um, in the, in the tank and, you know, it's fermented and then we kind of let it sit there for, you know, or we'll rack it in your tank and it sits there, especially when it's young. Uh, and things are kind of unstable like it will actually like you walk in you look not walk in but you go inside of the stainless tank and it is purple and it, it takes a lot of work to get that out yeah it's like it takes some scrubbing and some some ph adjustment you know right to, to raise the ph to, to clean it but yeah like mostly everything else is fine but that one is just like wow there's really a purple hue in this tank you should do so, like yeah. cave hieroglyphic that would you know? be funny <laughs> Do cave yeah. hieroglyphics in, in, in there so that you yeah. know, like using using the using the pH stuff to kind of get rid of part of it and and do drawings. Yeah. That there, I just gave you, I gave you a viral reel right there. Have yeah, that that's, on that's 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 going on social media. There you I'm go. Sure. All right. <laughs> yeah, well. um, I'm gonna so, write your name in hieroglyphics. There you go. That would be so. Lori, oh my god. Lori was here. I would love that. Oh my god, that would be so cool. So cool. I I. I would take a take a photo of that. I'd put it on a wall. That would be so cool. Uh-huh. The problem <laughs> is when you use the cleaner, it's gonna like drip down. So drip it's down. Like a smear and blood that's or why. Something. That's why it's hieroglyphics. Yeah. You just say yeah. what it is, right? <laughs> awesome. Well, I get this is dark, dark fruit in here, right? Yeah. This this is this is blackberry. I get a bit of um, earth and um, definitely a, a hint of. Um, like eucalyptus or menthol in, yeah, on the nose. Windy, yeah. In there. Yeah, yeah. I'll call it uh, herbal. Yeah. Then to me, petite isn't one of those ones that's, it's not this huge aromatic uplifting variety. It's just kind of subdued, but it's a lot of dark fruit. Um, you know, choosing depending on kind of which oak you want to go with, you know, then you start getting into like um, some of the dark chocolate and, and bringing out those, you know, the roasty notes. So uh, yeah, it's a lot of fun, but it, it seems to do well. 
it's it's beautiful. It's got a nice spice on the palate. It has it has a nice spice to it. And the alcohol is uh, it's like 16, 15, I think the label label says label says 15.5. Oh, is that 15.5? I, I, I keep I, saying I, I do need glasses. Yeah, I think I think it was right around 16 when I bottled it. Don't tell TTB. It, well, it's legal. You got that one. You got that one percent. Fifteen nine. We're good. Fifteen yeah. nine. It is. Um, it doesn't taste high alcohol. You no, know? it's pretty balanced. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's very balanced. The acidity that's in it is cutting through cutting through that alcohol. It there's there's no burn. It sits on your it sits on your palate very very nicely. And the yeah. tannins are are actually um, very structured. So this baby can sit and for a while without any problem. Um, but the tannins are not, are not gripping your teeth at that, you know, they're not. Right. And I, I, you know, I think that's might be one of Susan Valley's things is, and, and I don't know why, but like the, the petite tends to be approachable early. Like, like you have petites and, and, you know, maybe from somewhere like a, a hillside and it's just really aggressive and it's really aggressive for a long time. Um, but here they tend to be, the, the tannins are there. They're, they're huge. Uh, but I think for whatever reason, and I don't want to get too scientific, but they, they might link up and polymerize earlier for some reason. And so okay. then those, they become longer and softer without requiring a lot of bottle age. Um, so I, I think that's, that's a lot of fun for people, you know, people are like, well, should I lay this down? You can, but drink it now. It's totally Yeah. Fun. Yeah. It's, it can lie down and it's going to be fine. If they put it, they put it and they want to take it out a year or two years, three years later, it's still going to be fine, but it is very, a very approachable. Now it, the, the, the tannins are really kind of, uh, they're an oxymoron because they're, they're burly, but they're also delicate as you know, as it finishes. So mm -hmm. it really is kind of an oxymoron. Now, can you take us through your winemaking process for this one? Like sure. what barrel process did you use and things like that, barrel program? The barrels, everything's aged in barrel. Um, they use predominantly neutral barrels, uh, but because where I worked at before, I was in charge of their alternative program. I use alternatives in the barrel. So, and what that does is, you know, it gives me, I, I used to experiment with oak and uh, micro ox. And okay. we were trying to make wines to, and you could get close, but just something about a barrel, just, just whatever that oxygen rate transfer, topping it, opening it. I mean, just whatever that is. Um, it was tough to, to, to mimic, you know, the wood aromas you can get, but then there was like a texture and just kind of wasn't there. So I'm kind of going the best of both worlds here where I'm using the barrel, but I'm using the alternatives. I know where I can get exactly the, the, the profiles that I like. So that's me. And that's, well, you know what, you have to, you have to make wine that you like, it has to be to your palate, right? Mm -hmm. And because no matter, no matter what wine you make, there's going to be people who love it. And there's going to be people who it's just not, it's not, not for them. Right. Yeah. And so you can't, if there's wineries out there who shall remain nameless, that all they do is just make wine. So to a palate of a specific person who gives a score, right? Mm -hmm. So, yep. you know, making wine to a score and yeah, it's great to get those scores, but if, if you're making a wine, that's it to me, making wine and, and drinking wine is, is a, it's like a life force. It's, it should be part of you. Right. It should be, if you're the winemaker, you're, you know, you know, a little part of your soul, you know, and, and not a bad way, like Harry Potter and the Horcrux, right? A part of your soul is going into each of these vintages, each of these bottles that you've got to do what, what you like, what, what you enjoy drinking, not sure. some person who's doing the thing. So whatever you're doing is to your style. And that's why every wine, you know, I don't know what winery is directly next to you as close as you can get, but they could be making, or, well, let's go this way. You do sell off some of your fruit, correct? Mm -hmm. Okay. So you sell off some petite Syrah to another winery. Mm -hmm. If you did bottle to bottle, is it the same wine? No, we actually did this. We sell another, uh, we do another um, 
variety that we grow. We grow Charbono. I wanted to ask um, about that. And so we actually make a rosé out of it. Now, I, I don't think Charbono is necessarily a, a bad grape, um, but I've tried to make red wine from it and it doesn't fit the style of wines that I particularly like. You're saying you make wines I like. I don't think it was a bad wine. It just wasn't, it didn't fit for what I was trying to do. Um, so, you know, we made a blend with it and kind of made it work. Uh, we opened up some bottles because uh, I'll, I'll sell to this small block, but I'll sell to a bunch of different wineries. And so they all, they're all excited. So they all give uh, wine back to me as bottles. So I'm able to kind of compare it and just see the different styles, like four or five different wineries. Uh, they're, they're pretty different. I mean, this is a two acre block. It's not big. It's not <laughs> like it's like, oh, this is from the other end of the valley. Or, I mean, it is like literally like it's small. And it's, it's pretty, it's pretty uh, amazing how different some of these wines are, whether or not it's because it was picked, you know, two weeks later or, or just the wine making style itself. But it, it's, it's, it's pretty, it's pretty fun to see the different wine that can come from literally the, the same piece of dirt. So, yeah. yeah. And I, I would tend to think that that is a big difference. Um, you know, a wine that, that is picked this day and a wine that's picked two weeks later, mm-hmm. you know, is that's going to have a different profile just from the get-go. And right. then, you know, um, so that's interesting. Yeah. That'd be a fun experiment to, to partake in. I, yeah. I it was cool. It was interesting. Yeah. So do the hieroglyphics in the tank and Got then it. have the bottles for me and I will come up and we'll, we'll do that. There you go. Uh, I'll sit in the tank yeah. and do it. There you go. <laughs> so in this are you are you um when you're harvesting you're taking it in in the morning are you cold soaking what what's the regimen no i'm you doesn't know need I'm, it i'm pretty i'm i'm pretty good at just getting in and getting business done um so when this stuff comes in so actually depending on what we do and how much we're bringing in i'll either uh we have a machine to harvest so we can either okay. machine harvest it or we can um hand pick it if it's a small amount whites yeah, probably a hand pick. Um, the rosé is definitely a hand pick. Uh, okay. sure uh, but the reds will actually machine pick and I actually prefer that because it's a lot easier to process once I bring it in. And I literally go out and I pick it at, you know, five o'clock in the morning and it's in the winery at seven and I'm done by 10. So it's like, it's a no brainer. Whereas, you know, if I have to go out and hand pick what we have to do, you know, I, I don't, you know, it's not that much, so I don't have a huge crew. So they're, they're working until one or two in the afternoon or maybe even noon to get it done. And then I've got to like, now I've got a process and I've got more work to do. So I, I love the machine actually for, for picking reds. I think that's kind of along the lines of like screw caps, right? Years and years ago, screw caps right. in America um, were no, 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 no screw caps, uh, right? And that's kind of how mechanical harvesting was. No, no, it's no, going to no, be no, handpicked. No. It's too, you know, it, it's too rough. It's too this, it's this, it's that, whatever, you know. And as people kind of learn how things actually work versus right. just, oh my God, it's change. It can't be good. Um, right. They, you know, they realize that there, there's a lot of benefits to it. So There are. And you, you know what? Uh, I think changed a lot of people's minds. Labor. Like, Oh gosh! <laughs> oh, uh, so listen. I can machine pick it, or we can't pick it because I can't get anybody to pick it. Oh, yeah, oh, let's go ahead and machine pick okay, it. And then, and then and once they try it. it, once they're kind of put in that position, they're like, "It wasn't that bad." Right. Now, granted, there are some wineries who are going to hand sort fruit, you know, all that sort of stuff, and that's fine. And that's, um, that's then they're going to have to hand pick it. There's no point in trying to sort machine pick fruit. It's kind of messy. Uh, but there are machines out there that actually have uh, the sorting tables on them. Yeah. Yeah. They have little sorting tables and they dump off. And we actually, we were in a vineyard and, and the guy came over and goes, Oh, check this out. It's going to sort out like probably 10% of the stuff that you, you know, and I'm like, but we're a vineyard. And so we make money by how much we put in the bin. <laughs> you know, you're not really selling me on this machine. Right, you know, right. I'll let the winery do that, but they need to pay me for it first. Right. So, absolutely. See, uh, for every good, there's a bad, there, right. you know, for every action, there's a reaction. So, right. So let a little bit more about the petit straw. Let, let's talk about the you're a true believer of that winemaking is a combination of art and science. And we oh, yeah. hear we we hear it a lot. You know, it's a, it's you know, nothing gets you. It's not like the the your revelation, right? <laughs> but 
every winemaker's version of art and science is different. So how do you see yourself blending art and science in, in your winery? So the science part, I'm, like, having gone to school and having a degree in this, it, it's like, that's what they teach you is science. Mm-hmm. That's great. It, it gives you numbers, but that's not how you make wine. People are like, so you went to school to learn how to make wine. I said, no, I went to school to learn how to like run numbers. Exactly. I, said, I went to, I went to work to learn how to make wine because you can't teach that. I mean, you, or you can't learn that you can teach it, or, but you just, you can't teach, read, you can't read that in a book. Mm-hmm. So like, you know, there's no formula that says, listen, petite Syrah comes in at X bricks and you process with this yeast and voila, it's perfect every time. It doesn't work that way. Every year is different. Every site's different. And so you have to kind of understand, you can look at the numbers and it's hope guide you and, you know, where to go. Um, and you can use technology, which is great. Uh, but at the end of the day, you, you've got to like know what picture you want to paint and have that vision and how you're going to get there. And, you know, that's what I think a lot of times I, I hear people in winemaking and they, they go, well, that's, that's, that's what this year was. That was the vintage. That's the wine. And I'm like, it's not that good. And you say, you know, where, where I look at it, I'm like, well, where do I want this wine to go? I kind of have an idea and then you ferment it and you go, okay, well now, which, how do we want to oak this up? How much time? You know, all those things, that's where it sort of becomes the art of the science is basically getting it through the fermentation, hopefully clean and, and, and quickly. Uh, right. And uh, no issues. Uh, I think this actually piece are all, I think they stuck. They always stick. All my wines stick, all the reds. Really? Yeah, I tried. That last year was the first year they didn't, but they all come out with, you know, they're high alcohol. So I'm always pushing the limits. Okay. I think the first year I did a Zinfandel, um, it came in high bricks and Zinfandel is always tricky because it, it's kind of like right before you ferment, like you test the sugar and it's like, okay. And then you start fermenting and it's like, I'm going to let a little more sugar go. And so you end up with high alcohols, right? Oh, wow. Okay. Like, yeah, it's like, it's like, oh, I'm going to adjust my sugar. Okay. But he's going to hang on. It just, it's a tricky little grape. So uh, I've learned to run about in the middle of fermentation, run potential alcohols. So I can see where the alcohol and the sugar is and see what's released. But um, again, science. Uh, but uh, it, the first time I did Zen, it came in and it, I think it, it rocked right through fermentation in like five days. I was like, whoa, this is just a little macro bin for two or something like that. And it came out like 17.5 alcohol. Like it just ran right through. And I was like, wow, that's cool. <laughs> But it was really hot. Like he was too yeah. hot. Like he was, he was definitely. How did the yeast even survive that? Alcohol. Right. Yeah. Five? I mean, I, I, I didn't, I didn't think I was using some extreme, you know, yeast at the time. I was like, oh, okay. it'll be something, you know, they, you know, maybe it gets up to 16 and a half, 17, but like it just boom right wow. through. Usually when you have those alcohols, it's like, it's a push to get it to that 75. You're good. It's about 14. And then like it takes two weeks to get that last right. little bit of sugar to done. So, but last year uh, I talked with a, a buddy of mine up the road. He you know, kind of st- you know, steered me in the right direction as far as um, kind of some yeast to use, and he's had, he had real good luck. And so I tried that, and it actually worked out pretty good. So I may I may be onto something. There you go. Give myself a lot of headache. There's nothing worse than trying to restart a fermentation at like at like two bricks, and you're like, and especially because this is like the last stuff I pick. I've got no other juice to come in to help get it started. Help. Right. Just, right. Yeah, see, and that goes back to the other thing of how your first pick is relatively easy because mm-hmm. everything is open and, mm-hmm. you know, you do it and it, you know, like you said, white right. is pretty straightforward. When you get down to those last picks, it's... That's that's where it gets tricky. You got to zig and zag a bit. It really is. It's, it's like we're, we're, we're talking, you know, upper 20s, low 30s sometimes when we bring the stuff in and it's late October. So by the time this fermentation is done in two weeks, it's mid-November. Wow. There's nothing else out there. I right. I can't just bring in another starter grape. I mean, um, so yeah, it's it's a lot of fun. So I've got to really work with it. But so fortunately, you, I've been I've been pretty good. I mean, it's been a lot of work, but yeah. Fingers crossed. Fingers crossed. Fingers crossed. Yeah. So you actually deal with seven varieties, correct? You you farm seven varieties. Yes. And do you use them? Uh, you you said the Trevano use as. Uh, as a rosé yes but um tell me about the verdeo because i love verdeo right so good so um so years ago 
we had um, planted, uh, my dad had planted uh, a bunch of Verdella because somebody, he, he, was, he had a bunch of Merlot and then this movie called Sideways came out <sighs> and we couldn't, we couldn't sell Merlot. So he was, so he grafted over to Verdella because he, he needed to, to find something to do because the vines were still relatively young. So he, uh, I think he talked to somebody in Davis and they said, hey, you know, try these, you know, Spanish or Portuguese varieties or whatever. Okay. So he planted some Verdella, like six or seven acres, quite a bit. And uh, uh, the wine was really nice. Like uh, we would actually, because nobody wants to buy truckloads of Verdello or Verdeo, um, we ended up kind of custom crushing it and putting it on the bulk market. And so we had, we knew what the wine was and the wine was super pretty. Like it was just really nice. But again, nobody wanted to buy it. So it was always this, this tricky thing we had. And eventually it would sell, but um, you know, not well. So we he, that vineyard went away and we pushed that one out and uh, uh, sat down for a while. And then you're kind of thinking, well, we've got this other little couple of blocks. What do you want to do for the winery? I said, let me do like two acres of Brunello. Um, and so we did. And I did, having never made it other than, you know, somebody else making it, uh, bulk wine stuff, uh, I wasn't sure. And we always had people asking us for a sweet wine. There's always somebody, there's always a need for some sort of sweet wine in a tasting room. So we said, well, you know what? Basically, we only had Chardonnay, Sauvignon Blanc, uh, and Verdella were in the rose, and those are our white wines. So I was like, well, we'll just do the Verdello because that aromatically um, is going to be probably the best fit. Like nobody, everybody's, nobody knows what Verdello is to start with. So when you come in, like, I don't want a sweet Chardonnay, okay? Or here's a sweet Sauvignon Blanc, and everybody's going to be like, that's weird. So it fit, and uh, uh, it's really popular, actually. Like, I, I certainly should make more, but I don't. Um, Wait, what's the RS on it? About? So the first year, I don't know, because everybody's different. Uh, everybody's idea of sweet is, like, perception of sweet is different. So I think right. the first year, you left it, like, two and a half. Oh, okay. So it's, like, it's well, that not, was the first year. And I said, oh, okay. okay, that was too much. So then we backed it off to, like, 2%. And I think this, and that was the second year. And so this year, I think we're down at, uh, like, one and a half. Okay. And I think that's that's probably pretty good because what it does is it's not so sweet that it offends the people who don't want a sweet wine. Right. Uh, I just say one, one, one is really not like a lot of a lot of white wines that people say are dry have oh, yeah, have no. like one percent RS in it. You know. Yeah, this is like one and a half, maybe one and three quarter. It's tricky. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, when you so I arrest the fermentation. I don't like sweeten back up. So it's tricky because you, you have to stop it at the right exact moment. And it's never like, it's, like it's not an afternoon. It's yeah. like on a Saturday night at three in the morning. <laughs> I like it just, ne- it's never easy. And then, and then you're over there and you're trying to like chill the tank down, add a bunch of sulfur and hope for the best and hope it doesn't <laughs> overshoot. And so I don't know, I just kind of, I got my marks and I, and we're going to go with it, but yeah, it, it actually, it's, it's a nice wine. So pretty you have a sleeping bag in the in the winery for those nights no i don't i don't live that far away so it's it oh, okay <laughs> I, can, I can get up and drive there in two minutes so. um all right so what as the creek what what is your case production you know i i think it's it varies i'm, like, I'm sure I'm like yeah. on different vintages and so like i'm i'm i've got reds in barrel and i think i'm planning on expanding and growing I don't know if that's going to happen, but that's my plan. So um, I think right now we're sitting at somewhere around a thousand cases. Okay. Like give or take, like on a, like, so if you walked in and said, how much did you bottle this year? Right about a thousand. So you actually like started to almost ask my next question, where do you see yourself? Where do you see Sassoon Creek, like five years down the road, 10 years down the road? Do you have like some wineries have like a magic number like, I don't want to be more than this, or I don't want to be less than this. Like, do you have a number where you're going to be, this is kind of where my goal is. And this is where I would like to get to. I don't have like a firm goal. If I was at like, if I could sell, my goal is to really um, kind of be direct, like DTC. Okay. um, Direct to consumer. I I don't mind selling to like little places around locally. Um, but when you start getting out of state and you have to get into the three-tier system, it becomes, um, I haven't talked to anybody who really enjoys doing that. So, uh, 
I, I, I'm, that's not my, my plan. Um, at least not, I mean, in California, yes, maybe we can expand, uh, out that way. But if I was at like three to 4,000, um, I think that's a, a reasonable number. I mean, it could go more we'll see what happens. I mean, I've worked for big places, so scaling up doesn't scare me. Trying to sell wine, might make it easy. Selling wine's different. Oh, wait. So I used to, I used to, I used to be like, oh, salesman. Now I'm like, oh, salesman. Hey, good job. Yeah. So yeah, there it's it's a it's a it's a lot of work. It so. is. It is. It's very difficult to go place to place to place mm-hmm. and kind of say your story, but not sound like you're recording of the story and know maybe this wine might be better for this population versus this wine and things like that. Right. It's, it is, it's, it's much more fun making the wine than, than oh, trying yeah. to sell it. Oh yeah, so. for sure. Now, do you, what about DTC shipping? Where can you ship to? Do you have, um, a- I think there's a few States that we're not allowed to, like they're not reciprocal, but other than that, I think we're, we're good. Are you using um, something like Vino Shipper, or do you actually have all your own licenses? Oh no, it's like Vino Shipper, yeah. Okay, yeah, they're they're a wonderful thing. Get you to forty two states, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Except for yeah. those we, insane states and we, that and we want really to cut off an arm. We don't ship out of state that often. Like, there's a few people okay. here and there, but it's it's most of it. Most of our business is is local, okay. um, you know. And a few people have sent you know wine to friends, and then their friends are like, "Ooh, I like it." that sort of thing and what what about your tasting room is is it open every day certain days no it is right now it's open uh saturdays and sundays so we do like 12 to 5 our tasting room is also kind of like our production facility so uh during harvest it's a little it's a lot of work for me because on friday night i gotta clean everything up and make it look kind of spotless and presentable and if anybody's ever seen like a winery an actual production winery if they're it, it can be, yeah, it's during harvest. It's like a purple mess. The floors are stained. Everything is crazy. So it's, it's a, it's a lot of work to, to do that. Well, I then think, uh, here's, uh, I can tell you how to run your business with all of these things. So sure. don't clean up, right? Uh, <laughs> Have a Friday party of what it's like to be at a winery during harvest and let your customers come in and see what it looks like and clean for you as an experience. As an experience, right. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> they can write hieroglyphics in the inside of the tank. Exactly. Exactly. Or, you know, people do those, the, um, the painting, uh-huh. right. With the, with the, with the must and stuff. Right. right. There you go. Have a paint, paint and clean party. And, you know, a bunch of leaves for you to, yeah yeah right you know um which is the um castaway right instead of having blood right the hand on um, uh you know there you go yeah got it got to come up with unique ideas right it's all about an experience (laughs) it is is. yeah so that's like it's there i mean i think our 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 next step for us is probably come up with the tasting room somewhere else it's a little more friendly i mean everybody loves our place it's great like it's like a big patio on the crush pad and like it's you know, shaded and we've got all the tanks and it's 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 pretty cool but um it is not large um and it, it you know it does get dirty so uh i think for us for me i'd love to have a different spot like a dedicated wine tasting area <laughs> so i can just be in like production mode and just go with it right yeah. Okay. But people do like people do like tasting in the actual areas. Oh yeah. You know, yeah. it you know, well, we all know, kidding like aside about the painting and all of that stuff. It it they do like oh, seeing oh, yeah. where it is. Yeah, I got no secrets. Yeah, everything's just kind of out. But it's like when you go to like a a, a, a tap room or a brewery and they've got the yeah. tanks behind the little glass and you can kinda, you know, right. That's pretty cool. Like I dig it because that's what I'm into, but right. um yeah, I think everybody kind of has that. I'm like, oh, I didn't know what this is. We get a lot of questions on, you know, what a tri-clamp is. They don't know that. Oh. So I'm like, what is this? It's a right. kinky thing, but yeah. Yeah. And now, so I, you brought up brew room. So I'm going to ask, because you talked about beer, I think, twice already. So there is a saying that it takes a lot of mm-hmm. a lot of good beer, beer to make great wine, right? So what is your like go-to beer? Oh, um, 
or style or I, style yeah i would probably go with like just a regular lager um I, i'm not oh. I, i'm not really a big ipa guy okay i don't like that bitter sort of thing so i yeah i mean honestly my wife gets mad at me because you know she'll be like you you know I'll, I'll come home and i'll have like a bud light or coors light or something because i'm just like back and she's like, you should, you're old enough. You should drink better than beer. I'm like, you know what? When it's hot and I'm like, I'm on the lawn and I just like, I, I just well, want. You're just, just craving water is what you're craving. Water, but like, I want to, the, the, I want, I want to have a beer. And so like, I'll right. just boom. And like, no guilt, just, yeah. you know, but yeah, when it's, you know, 95 degrees outside, I don't want to sit there and be like, mm, this is really tasty. Oh, it's heavy. Oh. <laughs> no, I just, just want want a little buzz and be done so. yeah all right i i am a hazy ipa gal I, yeah okay those those are the I hazies aren't too bad yeah, yeah. i but i go insane with my hazies do you have yeah. that do you have the um untapped app no. it's like oh it's like facebook for beer drinkers oh okay. <laughs> so you you check in your beers but you can socialize with other people who drink the same beer or whatever oh cool and you get badges for you know, they, they, they need to reward. I, I am definitely one of those people who, if you reward me with something, I will do more of it. Um, so like you get badges. So like, you know, photogenic, you know, if you take a picture, right. I'm a, I think I'm on like photogenic level 150, you know, or, you know, uh, Oh, haze for days. I'm like 80 and things like that. So check out nice. the app. I, I think it's All a great right. app, but, uh, All right. Yeah, see, well, then we can be untapped friends and I can know what type of beer you like. There you go. So, um, all right. So, again, you, your tasting room is open on Saturdays and Sundays mm -hmm. after you finish cleaning it. And right. <laughs> what about what about social media? Are you know, are you guys on it? What What is Yeah. So I, I mean, Katie, my wife, actually handles all of that stuff because I am pretty inept when it comes to social media um so she's got instagram i think facebook she does all that stuff so you can find us there the websites she updates that occasionally so yeah like the website actually she spent a lot of time going through that and redoing it so now you can actually order online and and you know shipping all that sort of stuff so yeah it's a lot of fun but yeah she's she's big on social media i i, I don't i'm not so if there's pictures of me on there it's not something i took <laughs> it's, it's uh, yeah i get a lot of what are you doing today i'm like nothing <laughs> i can take pictures okay well, i'm sure you're doing something you're just saying nothing so. uh, yeah <laughs> so if it. if there is one thing i'm going to put you on the spot if there's yeah. one thing that you want people to know about sassoon creek valley uh, sassoon creek I'm, I'm combining the ava sassoon creek wines what would be the one takeaway you want them to know? I don't know. I just, I do this because it's what I enjoy. And so like, that's, that's why I do it. I, I mean, there's, I'm making money, but like, it's not like I'm making a killing on this. This is just <laughs> what I want to do. And so this is, this is what it is. So all the wines that we make, I think we make eight different wines. There's seven varieties and like there's one red blend. They're all really unique. I mean, it, they're all different. So it's not like I have, you know, four Cabernets, but just different styles. Like they're, they're all very different wines. And I, I think hopefully if you come into the winery, uh, you'll find at least one, hopefully more than likely, probably more than that, that you actually like, uh, we get the comment we get a lot is actually like, you know, I go to wineries and sometimes like, there's always a couple that, you know, I, I don't like, but I like all of these. Ah, like, so. That's a great so, compliment. Like, you know, yeah. But they're all, you know, they're all different. So, uh, yeah, it's 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 cool. It's a lot of fun. And are you by appointment only? No, we're we're right now. Okay. Swing on by. Um, okay. I mean, if you have a big group, yeah, I definitely call us because, you know, like I said, we don't have a lot of space. But for the most part, yeah, swing on by. All right. Well, thank you so much for coming on Allure of the Poor. I appreciate it, and thank you so much for sending me uh, sure. this 2018 Sassoon Creek uh, Petite Syrah. And I had the Zinfandel, your Zinfandel, the other night that I did post okay. on social media. Um, it was it was delicious. We we um, sadly drank it too fast for the meal. Like I have the I have the um, you know the first glass is usually mm -hmm. while you're cooking. Cooking right. Um, 
there just might've been a few more than the first glass while we were cooking. Um, so it was very good. We enjoyed it a lot. So thank you. Um, but thank you so much for coming on. I appreciate you taking the time and both being tenacious to keep coming back and scheduling. And we were supposed to do it yesterday. So thank you again for rescheduling on my oh, behalf for, for today. And I just want to say thank you. And I do have, I saved a little bit. I, I held myself back so I can save okay. a little bit. So I can raise a glass to you, Brian. Say right. and Lori. enjoy. This has been another episode of Exploring the Wine Glass. Thanks for listening. If you have suggestions on what topics you would like me to discuss, please reach out on social media. You can find me on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook as Exploring the Wine Glass. I am also on LinkedIn as Lori Hoytbud. Of course, you can always email me at exploringthewineglass at gmail.com. If you enjoyed what you heard, please rate, review, and subscribe to help others find me more easily. And most importantly, tell your wine-loving friends, because if you like the podcast, they will too. Music is Wine by Kevens. Until next week, slancha. So you and I can feel the vine. That was no brandy.